tell them what your concerns are. And if you can go over to their house and spend time, who fucking cares about COVID sometimes when someone's life is in mortal danger? Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm going to keep trying. Thanks everyone for joining me on this podcast since last July. We are now on episode 83. 83 suicide attempt survivors have been bold and brave and badass and joined me here. So thank you. And for everyone who listens, I appreciate it. Now, if you're a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And of course, keep in mind, we are talking about suicide. So this may not be a good fit for everyone, including you. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you'd like to help out, in addition to listening, let folks know about this podcast. You can help us out with a financial contribution. There is a link in the show notes. And if you listen on Apple, it takes just a few moments, rate and review this podcast. All of it helps get this podcast in front of more people who really may need to hear these stories. So thanks very much for that. Today, I am talking with Howard. Howard is a friend of mine, and you will be able to get a good sense of that while we talk. So I joke more with Howard than I do with many guests. Howard lives in Minnesota, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Howard Lieberman, this is your life. Now, how old are you, Howard? 72. You look good. Thank you. Howard looks good. He's in Minnesota. He's married. When he was a young man, and I'm going to let him talk about this a little bit, he had, what was it, one one attempt? You define attempt however you want to define it. So is that one or multiple? One. One attempt. Do you remember how old you were? I don't, but based on where I was living at the time, I was probably no older than seven. Wow. And okay. So this is over, this is about 65 years ago. Yes which would have made it about 1950, late 50s, if my math is correct. I think, was that New York, Chicago? Chicago. Okay. I was in Chicago, so I kind of know the area. What part of Chicago? The north side. Our origins are from the west side when it was Jewish. And I grew up um, as a young man in Albany Park and eventually moved up to Budlong Woods. Are you surprised you made it to 72 years old? Oh, yeah. That's it. I know there's a lot of stories there, not just about suicide, but all of the shit that you've gone through. You've gone through a lot, no doubt. Howard and I are both Jewish. Neither of us have hair, so we have a lot in common. Seven years old is young. Most right. people I talk to, most, and then there's no judgment here. It's observational. They come on here, and you are my 83rd guest. I'm proud to say that. But obviously, I'm talking to just a tiny sliver of the people who try Uh, Seven is younger than most. People are typically teenagers, 20s and older. Seven is young. So can you go back to the late 50s, little Howard, who probably had hair back then? And I think 
And what was going on as best you can recall that led you to do that? I believe the underlying psychological basis was a feeling of being alone, a feeling of having no place in the world. I'm talking as an adult, obviously. Right. But I always felt alone in my own fantasy world. And I created an elaborate fantasy world because the reality of my existence, even as a young kid, was grim. And I I, I really feel like what was going on was there was a mother, there was a father, and there were two boys. The father tended to dote on my older brother. My mother used to dote on my older brother. And I was at that point in training to become Cinderella. And by that, I mean, my mother's daughter, who would do the cook later on, would do the cooking, the cleaning, the sewing, the laundry, and all the things that uh, a young daughter would, would be doing for the family. And I felt, I don't want to overly intellectualize it as an adult, yeah. I felt no place except in my fantasy world. So the question I'm wondering, and I know it's hard because, right, like time goes on and then your memories are mixed with adult memories and it gets, it's, it gets blurry and mixed up, sure. But most seven-year-olds, even in dire situations, don't try to end their lives. So any idea why, why you did that? I, it's, it's kind of a question that can't be answered in a way. I get that. But was there some underlying something else? Was it simply access to a weapon? What, like, do you have any idea? My, my recollection is that it was almost like I was in a fugue state. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, we lived in a very small one-bedroom, third-floor walk-up apartment. Mm-hmm. My parents slept in a bed that pulled out of a closet in the living room. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I have a small bedroom. I, if I had a guess, it was 8 by 12. And there was one group of maybe, I don't remember, one, two or three windows, I can't recall, with that looked out into a courtyard um, with Venetian blinds that hang, hung down almost to um, the radiator below. And I'm being probably more theatrical than I was back then because I'm a performance artist and a storyteller and seeing the Venetian blinds and obsessing about this little black soot line on the bottom of each of the slats, looking at the evenness and the order, orderliness of those soot lines and little ray of light. I remember this vividly coming through the window. And if you, if you look at light just right, you see these little dust motes floating around. I saw that. I, I, I obsessed about that. I obsessed about the lines. I was drawn to that. And I remember thinking, I want to be with that. I got out of bed. I was alone. I don't know if anybody was in the house. I have no idea. No recollection. Mm-hmm. Barefoot. Mm-hmm. I climbed up on this metal radiator, mm-hmm. which hurt my feet, but I didn't care. I climbed up. I looked out the Venetian blinds. I picked one or two up and I saw the cord. You know, the Venetian blinds have a cord with that little plastic knob on the end. I remember thinking, I want to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. And I literally, I tied the cord around my neck. You probably, you probably didn't know what you were doing. You probably didn't know what you were doing. No, I, I, I probably didn't. I can't say I went over and said, I'm going to kill myself now. No, I, I, I wasn't that conscious of what I was doing. Okay. And I, I tied it around. And, and I was an obsessive young kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I admired 
how nicely I tied it. I tried to make the little two little plastic knobs even. Mm-hmm. And I tightened it around my neck. And I said, now I'm just going to jump off. Okay. And I did. I, okay. I jumped off. I wanted, at that moment, I think I wanted to be with the little dust motes floating down. And the last thing I remember is looking at the, 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 the line of soot, the cord, and just jumping. Mm-hmm. And the good news is <laughs> I pulled the entire Venetian blind down and it crashed on my head and probably hurt more than anything. At that moment, though, I, I remember going, what the heck am I doing? Not in that adult voice, but in an emotional moment going, what? I think what happened is somebody came rushing in the room, saw the Venetian blinds down, and probably hit me. Probably. What Was it an actual attempt to end my life? Not an intellectually articulated attempt where I said, I'm going to kill myself now. Something more unspoken, something mm-hmm. that, that, that called to me. And that's, all, that's as best as I remember it. Okay. That's helpful. That's many years ago. Just so everyone in the audience knows, we're not talking before the Chicago fire many years ago. He's not that fucking old. As you got older, you never tried again from what we've talked about, right? We've had these conversations a little bit, I think, in the past. To the best of my recollection. Sure. Okay. That's all we got. Did you ideate? Did you think about it? Did you ever fantasize about it? Did you ever plan it? And this is going up all until seven years old, till 72 years old. Yes. Okay. Obviously, you didn't carry it out. Just curious. Do you think that people ide- that ideate about this, think about it, plan it, fantasize about it, are by definition mentally ill? No. I agree with you. Just wondering. And my therapist agrees with us. Some people don't agree with us. Just wondering. So was there any part of you at seven years old or as you got older that wished the result of that experience had turned out differently? Probably. Hmm. And I say that because, as you know, I've had some really hard times in my life. Yes. Has a question ever arisen, would I be happier today, so to speak, if I wasn't here today? They have to deal with all the bad stuff. I can't tell you I've never thought that. I can tell you I didn't, I don't usually consciously go, you know, if I was dead, I wouldn't have to deal with this crap anymore. Yeah. I don't go there. Right. How many people in the world know about that incident? Too many. And I say that because I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I have told that story as a performance piece. And I usually, in fact, I've always told it in the third person. Okay. Which is unusual. It's mm-hmm. the only story that I can recall that I do tell in the third person. I think that's the only way I can tell it for me. And I also think as an artist now, not as, a, as Howard, the emotional cripple, but as an artist, I don't know to what extent if I told it in the first person, it would really be accessible. It might be too hard for people to hear. And so by telling the third person, I let the audience in. As best you can recall, when you shared it with people, whether it's third person or not, has anybody ever said and engaged with you about it and had a conversation with you about it? Or, or is it just, I don't want to talk about that. The S word, as I call it. People are shocked. Mm-hmm. You, you need to understand, I live in Minnesota. Oh, man. Here we go. Minnesota. (laughs) 
if you say anything in any way controversial, yes, people don't want to hear it. And so people will say, Howard, that was a very difficult story. I really appreciate your telling me that story. How mm-hmm. did they feel about it? I don't have the slightest idea how they felt about it. But each time I've told it, I've climbed up on something mm-hmm. and literally jumped. And at the moment I jumped, I could sense an audible gasp from people. Yeah. We like making Minnesotans gasp, though, when we can. Why it's hard to do. I it's know. hard. They just sit there stony-faced. <laughs> I don't know much about <laughs> Okay. That's more of a Midwestern thing, not just Minnesota, I think, right? All right. So you had said earlier, as a kid, you were the word you said was lonely. That's mm-hmm. a common word or theme or idea that comes up on this podcast a lot for people. So is that something that you've dealt with throughout your life? Yes. Now you're married. Some people on the exterior, single guys like me, might think you're married. How can you be lonely? I, of course... Don't agree with that sentiment. Of course, you can be lonely if you're married. Growing up, young man, uh, lonely. I have been lonely. Not just lonely. Lonely is lonely is like love. It's one of those words that people throw around. Right. But it, what does it really mean in context? I've always felt alone. I've always felt unwanted. I've always felt I was the wrong person for wherever I was. I, mm-hmm. I, I could never make anybody happy. I don't mean to go, oh, woe is me. When you're your parents didn't want you. They really didn't want me. When you were kicked around from orphaned persons living environment to orphaned persons living, to being kicked out into the street, to being told that you didn't belong here. I mean, you internalize. You're a sponge as a young person. You absorb yeah. um, all that. And I have absorbed I'm. I spent years in therapy. I know the origins of some of that um, loneliness and sometimes despair. If I was completely candid with you, I will tell you that there have been times as an older adult where I thought, I am really done with all this. Mm. I am really done with all this. Why don't I just pull the plug? I will be okay because you don't miss what happened before you were born. But I don't because I think it would be cruel to people around me. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to see how my grown grandkids grow up, see what they turn into. My sense of isolation my sense of kind of being alone and never being a part. I, I never felt, hey, I'm right here. I belong here. And you probably never will. No. It I won't matter that. where you go. It won't matter who's around. It's a part of you. It's almost like DNA. It's part of my day job for the last know, 30, 40 years. I have been required to travel all over this country into North America, I mean, in Canada, as well as the U.S., and into Mexico. And I've learned that place is just a place. Right. You find people, some of whom you like, some of whom you don't like, and this is getting philosophical, it's what's inside of you. Yeah. You find your center wherever you are. I'm in a place called Stillwater, Minnesota, where I am one of two or three Jewish people in a community that is that considers diversity a Lutheran and the Catholic having dinner together. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go. It is true. If you don't feel wanted or needed, it's not going to matter where you go. Right. I mean, you could have a little honeymoon period as we do when we travel, right? Yep. I remember someone saying to me, they always ask me, because I did some traveling, well, where are they nicer here, there? What are people like there? Like, I don't know. They're just people. And I'm also aware, it took time, but aware, like, if I'm traveling on like a holiday, of course people are nicer to me. I'm nicer to them. I'm traveling. I'm in a good mood. 
I'm at the beach. I'm having a drink. I'm not in my life. I'm smiling more. Shocker, they smile back at me more. It's not the fucking place. It's me. And, you know, no matter what I bring with me in the suitcase, no matter what I unpack, wherever I wind up, I'm still me. Yeah. Wait, but are you bringing dead? But you're not bringing dead bodies in the suitcase, right? Anymore? No, I'm bringing dead clothes, clothes that I no longer need to wear. (laughs) Metaphorical suitcase. Okay. I didn't understand. Okay. Do you have many people in your life that you can talk to about difficult things? No. Do you have anyone in your life who you can talk to about difficult things? Not since my therapist retired. This is a problem. You know, there's a lot of people in both our demographics. Somebody might push back and ask me to cite this information, which I can rather easily. Uh, Older people are are at risk. Guys like me, especially the guys like me who have guns, high risk. We don't have a lot of people to talk to, which is a problem. It's a huge fucking problem. It's a very significant problem. One of the people with whom I could talk, perhaps they're having their own issues that are substantially um, greater than mine. I often go to sleep at night wondering whether they'll be alive the next morning. So there is no way I can talk to them. Mm. Frankly, my wife doesn't want to hear about this. And she is not a person. She's not a person of great empathy. There is no one with whom I can talk. People come to me to talk to unburden themselves. I'm a sponge for other people's issues. Um, I'll be having lunch next week with a prominent attorney who wants me to help him figure out his the rest of his life, basically. I couldn't care less, but I have to create the illusion of empathy because <laughs> if he gets involved in suing his current firm, I may get dragged into that lawsuit. And so I need to, I need to know where he's at and what my risk is. Let me take this a step further. Now I'm going to get more loquacious. What, I don't like holidays. I don't know how to deal with holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, people obsess about presents. People obsess about foods. People, you know, it's going to be New Year's. It's going to be someone's birthday. It's going to be Father's Day. What do you want for fun? My response internally is, I don't really give a fuck. It, it means nothing to me. I feel nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. We're getting together for Christmas or Hanukkah or Easter or Passover or whatever. Who cares? I don't feel it. I don't feel it at all. Mm -hmm. But I can cook a good Holidays are coming up. Here we go. And this is a risky time for people. It is. Yeah, I know. Time for people. We got a lot of shit going on. Does anything help you feel better? I like telling stories. And when I feel I've told a good one and told it well, at least while I'm telling and for at least 15 minutes after, that makes me feel good. Yeah. Walking makes me feel better. I take long walks every day. Almost never miss. And even if there's a blizzard, I'll put something on and, and slap my body around town. Walking helps me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Listening to books on tape, if I like the book. What are you listening to right now? It's called... Gated Prey by Lee Goldberg. Fiction. About a woman, about a, yeah. Oh, I, I always listen to fiction. Yeah. Reality is, is tough. I mean, I can't, I can't watch the news anymore. Everything on the news is bad. Do you only listen to or read Jewish authors? No. Okay. Oh, no. Well, you, just, you just did Lee Goldberg. I was wondering if Lee you Goldberg are. Lee Goldberg happens to be a Jewish guy, but I, I just I mean, I didn't know if you were, you know, there's enough Jewish authors. You could spend the rest of your life listening to just Jewish authors. Although I do, and this is unusual for me, and this helps. Stay with me here. Yeah. 
trying. I, I define myself as a devoutly agnostic, anti-religious left-wing Jew. Okay. And I, I've created that label. And there are stories I tell that talk about the evolution of Howie from a nice Jewish boy to Howard, the hard-edged, devoutly agnostic, anti-religious, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, I listened to a podcast called Unorthodox. Um, three, for me, youngish podcasters, one woman, two men, talk about Judaism, cultural Judaism, more than religious right. Judaism. Sure. And I, 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 it, it touches me on some level. I don't know if you or anybody listening to this will know what a Duff Yomi cycle is. It's a seven-year cycle of reading the, the Talmud, I guess. Wow. And page by page. I, there is a podcast that does every a page every day, um, but it's not like I, I would have maybe been forced to listen to in Hebrew school. It's actually by one of the hosts of Unorthodox. It's kind of fun. It's yeah. kind of lifting. And I listen to that, and that grounds me a little bit. It's intriguing because I'm still not religious. I don't wake up in the morning and go, ah, God, I, I feel God's blessings all over. No, that's, that, I'll never be that person. But I, I, I am willing to accept that. My view of the universe, and this is a summary of from that time I, I tried to hang myself until now, is who really knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knows. And I've made peace with that aspect. What is the Talmudic uh, belief on, on suicide? Do you know? Probably not very favorable. It's not like in certain Christian faiths where if you kill yourself, it's immortal. I guess probably Catholicism, it's a mortal sin. And oh, when no. you go to the early gates, they go, oh, hang on a moment. You, uh, your own life, sorry. You can, you can go roast down with the, the rest of the bad people. If there's somebody out there who's hearing this that is at all connected to what you said in terms of how you were as a little kid or even as an adult because you've dealt with stuff, and this is really hard because I always ask this question, but you don't know anything about them really, other than what I just said. And it ends up being inevitably some generalization that you make, but like, is there anything? Because we have like a lot of listeners now. I've been blessed. You know, people are listening. They need to hear it. Some people do. Uh, what, uh, what would you, what might you say to them? Should they be listening and struggling? Life is hard. Don't fall privy to Hallmark card banal sentiments because they make money off of those banal sentiments and they do very little to soothe the pain that you feel inside. If you feel pain inside, acknowledge it. I sometimes talk to it, hopefully not in public, but one never knows. And understand that loneliness, whether it's emotional or actual loneliness, in other words, you can be emotionally lonely in a crowd of people or actually lonely because you live by yourself and there is no one around for any reason. Um, is something that most people feel. Mm. If the loneliness is too crushing, talk to someone beside yourself. If you can find someone who has professional experience dealing with suicide and suicide prevention, I would say talk to that person. But most people won't go that route. If you feel loneliness and pain and self-loathing, talk to that feeling. Try to figure out why you're feeling that. And then try to figure out what it is that can sort of soothe that pain. What would bring you joy? Don't care. Don't worry about what other people think should bring you joy and pursue those things, even in the short term. And if it's watching some dumb TV show that makes you laugh, if it's taking a walk in a state park or around the block 
just to break out of whatever you're feeling at that moment, do that. Don't go, okay, I, I, I can't feel bad today. I just, I'm, I'm not going to feel bad. I just, today's going to be a good day. You can't always just talk yourself out of a bad mood, but you can often talk yourself into a, you can also often talk yourself into a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And, and you can feed on that, feed on that, feed on that. Learn to recognize when you're doing that. And when you are, learn to step away, whether it's putting on old Rolling Stones songs, which I sometimes do, um, like Sympathy for the Devil, that's one of my favorites, um, allows me to walk away a moment, allows me to say, okay, step back, don't wallow. The pain is real, but don't wallow. Now, you said most people won't get that kind of professional help. Some people can't get it. They don't have access. You've recently had conversation with someone who's really struggling and said it's very difficult. You're trying to engage with them and they're not always friendly or they don't want to talk, even though maybe they do, but they don't and it's hard. So the other part of that question is to people who are in a position of support, whoever they are, because there are people that might engage with somebody and they're having a really crappy day. Maybe it's just a bad day or maybe they're thinking about ending their life or somewhere in between. And what what do you say to them? You know, like the person out there was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but well, they're, but they're coming to you, at least in this moment. Be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Don't ever tell someone their feelings are wrong. Mm-hmm. 100%. If, if someone says they're down because of X, Y, D, Z, you're not helping them by saying you shouldn't feel that way because look at the reality. Don't tell people how mm-hmm. to feel. Yes. Don't tell people how to feel. And also, don't be a enable. Don't enable someone to move to a more dangerous place. If you sense that someone is really in a serious, a precarious position, tell them. Tell them what your concerns are. And if you can go, go over to their house and spend time in mm-hmm. person, forgetting mm-hmm. about COVID. Who fucking cares about COVID? Sometimes when someone's life is in mortal danger, and listen. And I've also learned that the most precarious times in people's lives, people I've known, including myself, is when there's alcohol involved. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is not the friend of the depressed, lonely person. Alcohol is to your emotions sometimes, like breathing oxygen into a dying fire. You need to say to someone, when you drink, there's a darkness that takes over your personality and They'll yell at you and tell you you're a fuck you, mind your own business kind of thing. But you have to be honest. You have to be honest, not be an enabler, but listen. And again, you can't tell people how to feel they feel. And when you tell people their feelings are wrong, you're screwing them over. And they probably won't come back to you next time when they're feeling really at the edge. I think that's maybe, yep, that's a huge point that I that comes up sometimes. They're not going to come back to you. That's one less person they can talk to. And here's the thing. If it's your son or your brother or your spouse, where presumably you still have a relationship, they're going to fake it. Mm-hmm. They, have to have, they have to say something. They don't want to engage with you because you've essentially given, you've told them how you're going to be. It's not helpful. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm no, no. I'm, I, yeah, yeah. I called the doctor. I'm okay. I'm taking my meds. Why wouldn't they? Why would? Why wouldn't they do that? And because so that, they want you to shut up and quit fussing about them and telling them how to be. Right, and then it gets. You're really, in that position, you're useless. Gets really dangerous. Then 
my very darkish way of thinking about this. Don't be the last person someone talks to. Now, sometimes that's out of your control and I'm not pointing fingers, but hey. Howard in Minnesota, my friend, thank you for talking with me. Is there anything else? Look, we'll never get everything we could talk about. We could talk about this for hours, but anything else you want to add? I Well, this is something that's obvious, but I'll say it anyway. During these times of COVID, isolation, political bifurcation, there is more pain out there than I've ever experienced in my entire life in terms of the world around me, which in some ways is perverse because I seem to be handling some of this better than other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And I think it's because I avoid watching news on TV at this point. But just know that everybody feels some pain. Everybody sees the darkness, doesn't matter who they are. Santa Claus wakes up in the morning and goes, I can't believe I got to schlep all these bags of toys to everybody. Everybody feels the darkness. And befriend, befriend people who look like they need friends. The people who are your friends, be receptive to what they feel. Listen. And remember, you only got one life to live. If you end it today, you might miss something interesting tomorrow. Life is like a, a coin. Sometimes you flip it and it comes up heads, sometimes tails. What's on the B side might actually be, be interesting. The B side. Stick around another day. Stick yeah. around another day. Listen to the B side. Look forward to Santa Claus referenced by a Jewish kid. Go figure. Anyway, thanks, Howard. Appreciate you talking with me. And you know what? Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me talk. This is a tough, this is a tough subject. Nobody wants to hear about it. And so thank you. You're welcome. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Howard up in Minnesota. Thanks very much, Howard. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. There's a link in the show notes for financial contributions. And hey, let people know about the podcast. And if you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, that helps as well. All of it helps. And all of it, I really appreciate it. That is all for episode number 83. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.